Well, good morning, church. How are we? Hey, all right. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Man, I'm excited uh, to get week two of our series, Sabotage, kicked off. If you weren't with us last week or if you haven't had a chance to meet me, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And last week, we started this series with the idea that all of us who are Christ followers were created with a mission. That God, when we become this new creation in Christ, that God gives us this mission of, of being a, a, the banner carrier, the message carrier of this thing that we call the gospel. Which is the good news of a God that loves us so much that he was willing to give his son to die in our place so that he could have a relationship with us and us with him, that that's the gospel, that God did that through Jesus, his son, through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, we now have access to our heavenly father. God did that because he desires to be in relationship with you and me. And then he gave us the mission of carrying that good news, this gospel, to the rest of the world. And he made us, all of us, relatable people. You and I were designed to, to, to thrive in relationship. So in this thriving of relationships that you and I have, that is then the vehicle that God wants to use, our relationships, to communicate his gospel to the rest of the world. Here's the problem. A lot of times, with, even without knowing it, you and I can sabotage the relationships that God has put in our life, these, these connections that God wants us to have with other people to communicate his message of truth and hope. We can sabotage the relationship in such a way that the person whom God desires for us to share the gospel message with doesn't want to hear it because of the kind of person that we are or some character trait that we have or some kind of you know, little, I don't know, quirky thing about us or whatever that turns them off. They don't want to have anything to do with us. And, and so we're trying to figure out in this series how we can keep from sabotaging the relationships in our life so that we have a, a very healthy atmosphere in which to communicate the gospel, the good news of a God who loves people. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I don't like to be around other people that make me feel inferior. I don't like to be around people that seem to think that they've got it all figured out and I'm just like a little problem child and that I need to get my stuff together before I can be on the same level with them. Anybody have those same feelings? Anybody other than me don't like to be around people to make you feel like you're less than them, right? That's pretty common, right? None of us want to be around people that make us feel like bad. I couldn't go with another word. Like, I'm sorry. It's early. My vocabulary is not, not active yet, right? We don't want to be around people that make us feel less than or just like we're a messed up piece of junk that had no business being around there, right? Nobody wants to feel that way. But what, I, but what I'm noticing in our culture is that there tends to be a, a rise or an increase in ridicule and criticism and loud opinions. Now, Opinions have been around forever. Like everybody has always had an opinion, but it just seems to me, and maybe it's the influx of social media traffic or whatever, but it seems to me that people are getting much louder and much harsher and much braver with their opinion about what they don't like about you. Right? I, we, we call them social media heroes, right? Like, boy, you are a tough dude behind a keyboard, right? Like we, it's given everybody the freedom to be 
mean and it's not fun and there's all these horrible criticisms of other people and nothing can happen in in politics or life or in child raising or in friendship or in music selection or in anything pick it whatever you can come up with somebody has an opinion that what you like is wrong and and what I see to be true for me is that if all people ever hear about from me is how wrong they are in everything that they're doing and all their preferences and all that other kind of stuff. They, they don't want to be around me very much. And with this increasing culture of ridicule and criticism, well, what you see is typically like you see a little group of people because misery loves company and criticism is the same way because it's friends with misery, right? So like people get in these little groups and then they talk about this, this other person or this other group of people that they don't like. And so we have this very divisive and, and divided spectrum of belief and preference, right? But here's the thing. When you and your friends get together and you're really, really critical of somebody else that made a mistake or somebody else that does something you don't agree with or something else that you don't like? What do you think happens when you do something that your group of friends don't like? If they'll criticize other people for a failing when you're with them, what do you think they do when you fail? Let me, let me, give, you a, let me give you a hint, right? If they're no longer talking to you, there's a really good chance they're talking about you. Did you know it? Yeah, we can clap for that. Like, everybody, we know that to be true. That's, a, that's like a, that's way too true clap. Like, oh, man, I hate that I'm clapping for that. I agree with him, but I don't like it. If they're not talking to you, there's a really good chance they're talking about you. And there is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous culture that comes as a result, especially among the church and Believers, when, when, when mockery and scrutiny and ridicule awaits every failure in somebody else's life, we're in a dangerous territory of becoming, becoming the kind of people in the kind of church that nobody else wants to be around. Now, none of this means that you and I, that we don't get to work on our shortcomings or that we don't need to, we don't need to try and improve or that we can just be who we are and all our junk and Jesus wants to leave us that way. That's not true. We know that's not true. But as you and I relate to other people, Jesus and the Bible as a whole has a lot to say in how we go about communicating differences and a a, a shift in preference and all these other kind of things. Jesus talked about it in his most famous sermon in all of Scripture. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus addressed this issue of, of judgment and opinion and criticism and ridicule. It's a pretty widely known verse, but it's also a pretty widely misunderstood and misinterpreted verse. So I want to read it together, and then we'll discuss it just a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We'll read the first two verses. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, How many of you have ever heard somebody say, we ain't supposed to judge. The Bible says we ain't supposed to judge people. All right, let me clarify. Because though the Bible says do not judge, here's what that really means. 
The Bible says, do not put yourself in the place of being the judge. Because who's the judge? Come on, let's say it together. It's it's God, right? God is the judge. And so if you take upon yourself the mantle to look at everybody on your friend list and say, you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong, guess what you've done? You have placed yourself in the place that belongs to God. So what Jesus is saying is don't put yourself in the place of God. Because not only are you not God, but the same God that's going to judge the people that you're judging is going to judge you as well. And by the same standard. So when we look upon other people, we are not to put ourselves in the place of God and condemn them for what they've done that's wrong or that we disagree with. But that we are supposed to understand that the same God that judges us and by the standard which we are going to be judged is going to judge everybody else that we see. But he's the judge. He's the one that gets the final say. And so in our minds as believers then, what we are after is to completely submit ourselves to the rule and authority of God, his ways, heaven's ways, and apply those to our lives. And then the expectation should be that we desire as Christ followers to see that same kind of lifestyle in others. In the same way that I desire to fall under the rule and authority of God, I should desire that other people do the same thing. So the Bible never tells us to not be aware of or not, it doesn't even tell us to not even point out mistakes and shortcomings and failings in other people's lives. But it has a lot to say on how we do that because we're not the judge. Now, what, what I love so much about Scripture is that Scripture interprets Scripture, meaning that a lot of the same ideas show up in multiple places in Scripture. You can see the same idea. And so what I want to do today is I want to parallel two passages of Scripture. So we're going to flip back and forth. So if you brought like a hard copy of Scripture, what I want you to do, put your finger in Matthew 7. And then we're going to flip over to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to read the same, the, the first two verses there like we did in Matthew 7. All right, so, so watch this. And Jesus tells us, don't put yourself in the place of God, but instead turn your attention heavenward because that's the standard that you're going to fall under. You're going to fall under heaven's standard. Therefore, set your minds on the things that God is going to judge you for. Well, look what Paul says, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, or because you're a Christian, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so what Paul has done here, he says, both your heart and your mind, set these things on Christ. Set your mind on Christ, set your heart on Christ. Now in the Greek, what's interesting, in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, the Greek language, the Greeks have no word for the way that we as Americans understand heart. Like for, for Paul to say, set your heart on something, that wouldn't have made any sense to, to the Greeks. But in our American English or in English in general, we have this idea of what the proverbial heart means. That for me to set my heart on something means for me to focus my affections and to focus my desires on whatever the thing. To set my heart on something is to focus my attention and my, my affections and my desires on that thing. And so I think the NIV here does a pretty good job of interpreting this for us when it interprets the, the word heart here. To set your heart, set your affections, set your desires on the things of Christ. Because 
you are in Christ. Set your thoughts or set your affections and your desires on heavenly things. And then in case we, you know, in case it's just a feeling thing, he says, and also set your minds. So there's a moral and a mental aspect to the desires that Paul is calling for us to have on our lives, to set our hearts, our affections, our desires, and our minds, our thoughts, our thinking, our knowledge. Set all parts of you, moral and mental, on heaven. Set your mind on things above. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So here's what Paul is saying. As a believer, your life is covered by Christ. That when God sees you, he doesn't see your imperfections, but he sees the, the perfect covering of his son, Jesus. That we are hidden in Christ. So that when Christ appears, my life appears. Where Christ is, there I am also. Which means that as you and I go about our daily lives, here's what that means. That we should be so consumed with Christ that it's really difficult to tell where we stop and the Christ in us begins. That it should be one and the same. That everything that comes out of me should be the Christ that's in me. We talked a little bit about that last week. That when Christ is in you, encouragement will flow out of you. Well, this is what Paul is saying. He's just amplifying the same thought. That when Christ is in you, Christ-like things should pour out of you. Because your life is so hidden with Christ that it's hard to tell whether it's you or Jesus that's coming out of you. That that's the desire and the goal for every Christian life. We are to be as Christ. That's the standard. That's how we'll be judged on how Christ-like we are. Now, none of us get this right 100% of the time. None of us live as Christ perfectly every day, all day. And so the point that Jesus is making in his discourse about judgment is that if you are going to be judged by the same standard that you are seeking to judge someone else by, Here's what you got to know. They may have failed in attaining the perfect resemblance of Christ. But so do you. So do you. And the same standard that you're holding them to is the standard that God's holding you to, and neither of you get there. So when it comes to, to how we judge... Not that we're not supposed to or there should be no judgment and no assessment, no evaluation of the behaviors of others' lives. That's not what the Bible says. But it does say that when we look on another's life, there should be a level of empathy in the heart of the believer to know that, yeah, maybe they didn't get it right, but I don't always get it right either. That we should identify with them, not condemn and put down. Track him? Do your hands like this. All right, good. So Jesus is going to address this foolishness, right? This idea that me in my imperfection would judge somebody else for theirs. Like this is, Jesus is going to point it out. This is what he says. Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5. Now we're back to Matthew if you're flipping back. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Bunch of plank eyes in here. 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then, watch this, don't miss this, then and only then will you see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If there was one thing in all of Scripture that Jesus pointed out to the Pharisees more than anything else, it was their ability to see sin in other people while missing it in their own lives. Jesus was much tougher and harder on the religious leaders of his day than he was the unbelievers. Because all the religious leaders of his day, what they were, what they were known for, their, their greatest failure was the inability to see the grotesque sin in their own life but they were super great at pointing out the failures in others. And so Jesus is pointing out the hypocrisy in this. You know what's interesting? What's been interesting for my life? Is that growing up in church, and we've had this conversation before, but in growing up in church and reading all, all the stories from the Bible and you know, my, my Sunday school teachers and, and Bible teachers later in life, they would talk about the Pharisees, you know, these bad guys. In scripture, these religious leaders that hated Jesus and uh, he was always telling them what they were doing wrong. And I'm like, yeah, tell them, Jesus, because they're wicked and they're evil and they're wrong and they're stupid and all these things. Do you know what I've, you know what I've seen happen in my life more, than I've, more of late than I did ever as a kid? Is that I identify way more with the Pharisees than Jesus. Because even in my own, <laughs> here's some irony for you. I would look at the Pharisees and be like, yeah, see how wrong they were? but couldn't see sin in my own life, which makes me very Pharisee-like. It was so easy for me to see their shortcomings as I read it in Scripture and completely ignore my own, which in turn makes me kind of like a Pharisee, right? There's some super irony there, right? It just Maybe you, I get it. We'll talk about it later. So, so here, here's all I'm saying is that it's always easier. It's always easier to see failure in somebody else and miss it in yourself. But Jesus told us that, that, we, that he's not disinterested in speck removal. Tracking? Jesus never told us, completely ignore the speck in your brother's eye. He didn't say, he just said, deal with your own stuff so that you can see clearly then to remove the speck in your brother. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Um, Darren, I need some help. Would you come up here, please? Yeah, come up here. Now, big step up. We don't have steps. The test of your athleticism. That was, part, that was brilliant, dude. That was awesome. Well done. That's got, we're old, bro. Like, that's a, that's a task. I, I appreciate it. All right, Darren, I have here your standard run-of-the-mill 4x4. And I have a, I've seen you drive a nail. I know you can drive a nail. Um, so I, I've got four nails in the board. If you would, um, would you just hammer the, the nail? Yeah. All right, wait. Stop, 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 stop. Um, blindfolded. So uh, if you'll just, let me get over your hat here. Sorry, I'm messing up your hat and your hair. If you just, all right. So Darren, if you would, please, I'll, I'll set it up for you. Um, if you'll just hammer the nail, please. Here, I'll hold the nail. Here, I'll hold it. You just, I'll, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not, <laughs> all right. I'm not, I'm not doing that. No, 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 no luck. All right. Thank you, sir. That, 
perfectly illustrated all that I needed you to illustrate. You can, yeah, have a careful, watch your step getting off, please. Uh, look at there, my man. Give, yeah, y'all give Darren a hand for me for helping out. Now, hammering a nail, pretty easy thing. I've seen Darren, Darren and I have worked together on some construction projects, stuff, whatever. Darren can hammer a nail, but it's really hard to do something productive when you can't see very well. So here's what Jesus is saying. You can't see clearly enough to worry about somebody else's sin when you're blind. And the thing that you and I are most often blind to is our own sin. And so Jesus says, hey, why don't you deal with the plank in your own eye before you concern yourself with the speck? Before. Hear me. Jesus is not unconcerned about the speck in their eye. Christians, we should be in the process and in the business of speck removal. We should care about, be concerned with the specks in the eyes of other people. But before we can see clearly to help somebody else, guess what you got to do? You got to see clearly about your own sin. You got to deal with your own stuff. Which is exactly the point, the point that Paul goes on to make in Colossians. So let's flip back over to Colossians. Isn't it cool how they parallel? You can just kind of, you can watch the flow. Watch this. So Jesus says, deal with the own stuff in your life before you worry about somebody else. What stuff? Paul gives us a great list. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Paul says, put to death, deal with, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He's going to give us a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now, because of Christ, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Listen, Jesus is saying, Paul, Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, same thing. That there are some things in our lives that we gotta make sure are in check before we concern ourselves at all with what anybody else is doing. So, so we gotta put to death in our lives things like, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, wrath, anger, malice, lies, filthy language. Like once we get those things in check, once we've dealt with ourselves, once, and again, none of us are going to get this right 100% of the time. Paul's not saying you have to be perfect. Jesus never expected us to be perfect. That's why we need a Savior. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need Jesus. He knows you're not perfect. But, but he says, Put to death all of these things, all of these evil things in our, that, were, that were part of our old life. Remember, because our new life is hidden in Christ, right? Remember that part? We read that a few minutes ago, beginning in Colossians 3. Paul said, you got a new life. It's one hidden in Christ. All right, so act like you have a life that's hidden in Christ by putting to death all the things that belong to the life that died. Don't do those things anymore. Once those things are in check, then and only then, do we involve ourselves with, with the speck of dust or wood that's in somebody else's eyes? Hear me, hear me, listen, listen to me. 
No one is letting you near the speck in their eye when you've got a plank in yours. You are not going to have the level of influence in the life of someone else that is required for you to even be able to point out the speck in their life if you are completely dishonest about the plank that's in yours. We found a great quote this week. I probably should have put it on the screen, but you can just write it down if you want Um, because I didn't put it on the screen. But it says that everybody wants the truth, but nobody wants to be honest. That's good stuff. Like we all, we all want truth. We all want other people to be truthful to us, but none of us want to be honest about what's going on in our own lives, do we? Now, we like to keep that stuff behind a wall, big facade. Like just put it up. Don't let anybody else see it. Like nah, I'm good. Like I got all my junk figured out. So let me, let me tell you why you're messed up because look at my life. It's perfect. Now, I don't think any of us would say that outright, but isn't that the persona that we perpetuate? Isn't that the image that we want to put out? Let me tell you why you're messed up because of how great I've got it all figured out. But people know. People know. They they know you're not perfect. Let me give you a better way. Than, Than trying to act like Jesus has fixed me completely, so let me tell you how Jesus can fix you completely. Because none of that's true. I'm not fixed completely and they'll never be fixed completely. Can can I tell you a better way to communicate a a wonderful message about Jesus that will actually make an impact on the lives of other people? Here's, Here's some good advice. Confess openly and often about your own struggles. Confess the parts of you that Jesus hasn't quite fixed in you. Yet, you've got to be completely self-aware enough to know what it is that Jesus is working on in you. And then you have to be bold enough and confident enough to tell other people about it. And here's why. Can I tell you who I trust? I trust the people that are open and honest about the mistakes that they make. I trust people more when they're willing to tell me when they mess up. People who appear like squeaky clean and perfect, I don't trust them people. I don't trust them. Because I know you got some junk in your life, but I can't see it. I don't know what it is, but you're hiding it and you're sneaky. Squeaky equals sneaky. We get, I, I, I'll break it down for you. Write it down. Tweet it. That's good stuff. I didn't even write that in my notes. That's all in the spur of the moment. If you're squeaky clean, you're sneaky mean. I'm telling you. We, I do it all day. We go. I don't trust people that seem like they have it all together because I know that we all got some junk. I trust the person that's open with their junk. Here's what what I want for, for people to say about me. If he will admit that, I ain't gotta worry about him hiding anything else. If you are the most honest with the the ways that you mess up the, the greatest, if you're honest about those things, then why in the world would somebody not trust you to tell them about the little things that you mess up? And somebody that's honest with how they mess up, I'm way more willing to let them tell me how they think I'm messed up. Like, hey, look, dude, I ain't got it all figured out. I make a ton of mistakes, but let me tell you something I see about you. Let me tell you how how it makes me uncomfortable the way you talk to your wife. It, it, It makes me, like, look, dude, I'm not the perfect dad. But, dude, you are super harsh with your kids. Hey, look, man, like, I'm, I love gossip as much as anybody. Like, I, it, it tickles my ears, makes me good. But, man, we have got to stop talking about her. It ain't right. 
See what I mean? But before you can deal with the speck in somebody else's life, you got to be honest with yourself about the planks. I would add you have to be honest with them about your planks. Because nobody's letting you near the speck in their eye if you still got a plank in yours. Here's how I would frame that thought up if you're looking for kind of the big idea. It's better to be known as a sinner than a hypocrite. I'd rather be known as a sinner than a hypocrite. And isn't that the greatest injustice that we've done as a church when people say, I don't want to come to church because it's full of hypocrites? Right? That's like, that's like the number one complaint. If you ask, you take a poll of people, why, people who don't go to church, they'll tell you, because it's full of hypocrites. Do you know what a hypocrite is? It's somebody that says, I've got all my stuff figured out. Let me tell you why you're messed up. That's a hypocrite. We're church, we're church full of sinners. Hey, dude, my, my stuff stinks just like yours. You help me with mine, I'll help you with yours. Let's figure it out together. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Those are the kind of friends that I want to have. Those are, the kind of rela- those are the kind of interactions that don't sabotage relationships. But if you and I think just because we've met Jesus, that somehow that gives us the right to, to demean and discredit and put down and ridicule and criticize and mock people who either haven't met him yet, which is just ludicrous to me, while we would expect unbelievers to not act like unbelievers, But, but to also, even believer to believer, you ain't got it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. Man, let's figure it out together. You help me, I'll help you. That sounds like a great relationship to me. So here's what Jesus was saying in, in his discourse. He was saying, man, the same way that, that God is going to judge them, he's judging you. So if you're going to issue any judgment at all, why don't we just do so with the idea of trying to help somebody? Think about it. There's a way different interaction that takes place when I'm trying to help somebody as opposed to when I'm trying to ridicule, put down, and mock somebody. Isn't it? It's a big, big difference. So this is what Paul said, Colossians 3. Let's go back to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Now remember, Paul just told us, put to death all of these things in your life. Lust, immorality, impurity, all the evil, wrath, lies, filthy language. Put all that stuff to death in you because you belong to Christ. Then, verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Listen, listen, listen. Look right here at me. These are the tools for the believer as it pertains to to judgment. Does the Bible say that we're never to judge anybody else? Absolutely not. But it has a lot to say about how. How do we judge? How do we interact with other people that have sin in their life? I'll read it again. With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, 
patience, forgiveness, love, unity. That's how. That's how we judge. Now, dream with me for a minute. Imagine a church full of people, and then the word gets out, right? That's the end part. ADD, I skip parts of the story. Imagine with me a church full of people that are known for being open about their mistakes with a pastor that will preach and tell you what he got wrong. Where it's safe to come into this place with all of your baggage and your junk and your just all the stuff that happens when you live. You can bring that in here. And you can be on, you ain't got to hide it. You can be honest about it. And you can feel comfortable sharing that with somebody else, whether in here or in a connect group or wherever that happens. You can be honest because you know that the person that you're telling it to is going to be honest about their sins too. And they're not going to look down on you and condemn you and ridicule you and mock you and make fun of you and talk about you behind your back. They're not going to do that kind of stuff. Why? Because they got a lot of the similar things in their life that you're dealing with too. And they're honest about it. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. That's the kind of church I want to lead. But for far too long, what I see across, maybe not this church specifically, but all churches as a whole, if I, just all across Christendom right now, this is what I see. A bunch of Jesus people <laughs> that don't act a whole lot like Jesus and who want to tell everybody else how wrong they are all the time. Meanly. I don't know if that's a word. They're mean about it. <laughs> that's better. Right. Again, the goal is plank removal and speck removal. Jesus is not disinterested with the sin in their life. But there is a way better way to go about helping somebody remove the speck from theirs. And it starts with being honest about who you are. And about how you get it wrong. And until we get there as people, and until we get there as a church, we're going to continue to sabotage the relationships that we're in because nobody wants to tell you their stuff because they're scared of being so judged and put down by you that they'll just hide it. And sin, listen to me, sin always grows best in the dark. So you hide yours and it's going to grow. And in your hiding of yours, if it causes somebody else to hide theirs, theirs is going to grow as well. It's a two-for-one deal when we're honest about our sin. Not only does it get ours out into the light where it can die, but it encourages and inspires other people to drag theirs into the light well, so that as well so that theirs can die too. So let's do it, church. Let's be a church. Let's be a people. It's just honest about our stuff, honest about our sin. Because we know that we're, we're surrounded by a group of people in this place and in our connect groups and in our relationships. That if I'm honest about my sin, I'm not going to be ridiculed and I'm not going to be talked about. I'm going to be helped. Man, I want that. I want it for me. I want it for my wife and for my kids. And I want my kids to grow up with your kids that learn the same thing from this church. So that when they get older, they're honest about their sins. That way we don't ever have to worry about finding those hidden Facebook accounts and stuff. 
because they're just honest about what's going on in their lives. From my lips to God's ears, I hope that's true. So let's do this. Let's commit together today to be the kind of people that stop hiding behind this fake wall of I got it all figured out. Let's be honest with people so that they'll trust us. So they'll trust us enough to help them with whatever they've been hiding for however long. Let's pray together. Father, God, it is the sincerest hope of my heart that God, today, each of us would find new inspiration, a new confidence, and a new willingness to be upfront and honest, God, about the ways that we fall short. God, how in the world could anybody ever trust us enough to share with us their shortcomings if we refuse to be honest about our own? God, it's not that we're proud of our sin, but we know that as long as we keep it hidden, that God, it's gonna continue to fester and to grow. So Father, would you give us the boldness and the willingness and the confidence to drag our sin into the light that it may die a gruesome death that it deserves. God, help us to live holy, but help us to not appear that we are holier than anybody else that walks through these doors. God, would you make us a church and make us the people that other people want to be around. And God, not so that we can be the most popular people on the planet, but so that we can make you more famous in this city. For God, we desire that every man, woman, and child that interacts with any of our men, women, or children, that God, their interaction with us would bring them closer into a relationship with you, that they might have more opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel, the good news of a God who loved them enough to give his son that he might have a relationship with them. God, would you make us an attractive people to those that are outside of the church, that they might want to know what it's like to know you because of what they've seen in us. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to join you in the spread of this wonderful message that you've put in our lives. We thank you, God, that we can know it, we can own it, and we can share it through Jesus, our Savior. It's in his name I pray. Amen.